Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Amen. Amen. Uh, as you can see, we begin our brand new sort of filter here in the book of Genesis. Last week, we call it Liars, Cheaters, Thieves, and Villains. And we're looking at, in specific, the lives of Jacob, a character in Genesis, and his relatives because, well, that's sort of what they are. That's what they are. And yet, and yet, the closing scenes of the book of Genesis, if you get there, and we will, show Jacob as an old man humbled changed. He's leaning on his staff. He's worshiping. He's holding his grandchildren on his knee. He's blessing his own sons. He's a thief and villain. No more. He's been changed. How did this happen? Uh, How did this con artist with no character end up quite literally as the founding father of a nation that changed the world? How did that happen? Well, it all began to happen right here in this passage, in this story with Jacob's face-to-face encounter with the real God, the true God, the God of the Bible. Well, why is this all important? Well, as we've said, Genesis is really a biography of God. Genesis is far less about you. It's less about the characters even in there. Genesis is all about who God is. It's his biography. So what does, in light of that, what does this passage show us about the God of the Bible? Who is he? This is God. He is the one, as we're going to see, number one, who comes to us in our darkness. Number two, he speaks to us even in our dreams. And third, he produces in us a new declaration. We'll be looking at darkness, a dream, and a declaration. I'll move through them quickly and apply them at the end. Here we go. Number one, uh, he comes to us in our darkness. Let's look at uh, verse 11 and begin there. It says, he, Jacob, came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and he lay down in that place. So where does this story take place, huh? Well, we're not exactly sure. And that's the point. Uh, Every commentator I could find takes great pains to point out that Jacob's encounter with God happens, it says, in a certain place. 
Well, why is that significant? Well, at every point in Genesis, the writer, the narrator, always takes great pains to to point out where things happen. Right before this, as a matter of fact, he, he points out two specific geographical locations. And then when it comes to where Jacob is now, he goes all vague on us. Because this is done to highlight who Jacob is, where Jacob was. He is a wanderer in the wilderness. No place to lay his head. This was as dangerous then as it is now, as some of you who are uh, part of our, our community of homeless people here at Mosaic, you know this better than anyone. So Jacob here, he's in the middle of nowhere, but second, look, it says we're told that Jacob had to take one of the stones and sleep on it. Who sleeps with a stone for a pillow? Come on. Only someone who has nothing. Only someone who has nothing left. This is showing you Jacob is nowhere and has nothing left. He's so alone. He sleeps in the middle of nowhere. So poor he's got to put his head on a rock. And all of this happens when, verse 11, as the sun is setting. Can you see? The sun is going down on Jacob's life. Literally and figuratively. And it means this. It means darkness has fallen on him. Which, of course, begs the question, why? How did we get here? How did he get here? Well, we saw last week, if you were here, how Jacob dressed up in his brother's clothes. He pretended to be somebody he was not to try to steal uh, his father's deathbed blessing and take the family's inheritance from his older brother Esau. You see, his father, Isaac, favored his brother. This left a huge hole in Jacob's heart. His doting mother tried to fill it, and together Jacob and his mother hatched this plan to steal the blessing. And when the whole thing comes to light, his blind father is blindsided, and his brother brother Esau swears revenge. So Jacob is forced to flee out into the desert, and he never sees his father or mother ever again for the rest of his life. And here he is, here he is in the desert, and darkness has fallen on him darkness as we're going to see in two ways first there's a personal kind of darkness Jacob is in Jacob is maybe like some of us today maybe some of you today Christian or non-Christian he's confused as to where in the world his life is going you see Jacob here has just hit rock bottom in his own personal storyline own personal storyline. Years before when he and his brother were in the womb, there was this prophecy that had come forth that said that the older brother would serve him, Jacob, the younger, that Jacob would get the blessing. He would be the carrier of the seed. And and then even somehow, even through trickery, yeah, he got the blessing. The blessing was his, but this doesn't look like blessing now, does it? Nope, not much blessing around, right? Hard to eat blessing, as it's been said there in the desert. But this doesn't look anything uh, at all like what God had promised or his father had predicted Jacob's story, his future, his hopes, his dreams. They've all hit a dead end. But really, and I hope you'll see this, his personal darkness, personal confusion were just symptoms of a deeper kind of darkness. The second kind of darkness is spiritual darkness. You see, ultimately, Jacob did not know who he was or where he was going because he did not know who God was. In other words, his life was dark personally because his heart was dark spiritually. And when you read the narratives before this, you see that his grandfather Abraham had met God, his father Isaac had met God. But maybe like some of you, Jacob had grown up hearing about God, but had never encountered God for himself. 
And because of that, oh, heaven, heaven seems closed to Jacob. Heaven's gates seem shut and barred. And maybe that's the way you've come in today. Again, Christian or non-Christian, Jacob here, he had every bit of information about God, but he had absolutely no relationship with God. You say, well, what do you mean he had no relationship with God? Didn't he like grow up, you know, going to like, you know, you know, Yahweh school or whatever they called it back then, and, you know, in, in the tents and, you know, going to church somehow right now. Look, look, here he is. He's at rock bottom. Look at him. He's just blown up his family. He's blown them to bits. What's he doing? Is he coming to Mosaic on a Sunday, right? No. Is he praying, crying out for mercy, saying, you deserve it, God, right? No. Is he begging God to forgive him for what he, God, give me one last chance, but I know I can do it. No. There's no repentance. There's no prayer. There's no shred of evidence. He's sorry for anything he's done. His personal darkness is just evidence of a deeper spiritual darkness. See, it's not just dark on the outside. It's dark in here. Dark on the inside. And here he is. And in his total and utter darkness, he lays down in the desert alone. And if this is you today, I want you to see here, this picture painted, that maybe, just maybe, you are in the best place possible for a breakthrough in your life. You're in the best place possible because this is a God who's about to meet Jacob in his darkness. And I want to tell you, I believe he can do the same for you right here, right now, today. This God is a God who meets us in our darkness, number one. But number two, he also, as we're going to see, he speaks to us. Even in our dreams. You see in the narrative, Jacob has this strange dream. What was it? I want to look at this dream. Four features of it first. Here we go. What was his dream? What was he seeing? A friend of mine asked me yesterday, hey Morgan, what's the sermon going to be about? You get these questions when you do what I do, right? I don't, couldn't tell if he was trying to determine if he was going to come here or not. So anyway, I should have just said, it's going to be awesome. But anyway, I'll leave that for him to judge. But anyway, uh, I said Jacob's ladder, and I used the term ladder because if you grew up singing a song, Jacob's ladder, you know, it's talking about a ladder. But that's not really what's happening here because a ladder is just a thing you, you go up and down to change your light bulb right? Uh, Like one person can get up and down on it, but that's not what this is. This isn't a ladder at all. This is a giant stairway, a giant staircase, a massive staircase Jacob sees. That's what it was. What was on it? Verse 12 tells us, it says the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So on this massive stairway, staircase, not a ladder, Jacob sees hundreds, if not thousands of angels going up and down on it. But just for a moment, please just suspend in your mind the likely picture you conjure up when you hear the word angel, like some like wispy, real pale, thin, Eurocentric, you know, kind of person with a harp, you know, and a halo or something, or maybe like a, like, you know, this cherubic baby with a diaper having snack time on a cloud. And it's not what... This is at all, most people in the Bible, when they see angels, they nearly have heart attacks. Angels tell them, basically, don't be scared, you know. So, yeah, you want to meet when people pray to see angels all the time, let me know how that goes for you. All right, great. Now, this stairway, this is a massive, supernatural, superhighway, pumping angels to and from heaven. What does it mean? Well, to quote the old C.S. Lewis standby quote, It means Aslan is on the move. Aslan's on the move. It means God's royal power, divine power, showing up, being revealed right here, right now, this place. He's about to show Jacob and us exactly who he is. 
Number three, what happened in it? What happened in the dream? Well, here's what happened. It says, then there above it stood the Lord. Now, this is actually a tricky phrase to translate in Hebrew. Many, if not most respected scholars think this should be translated not above it or over it, but over him, as in over Jacob, as in there above Jacob stood the Lord. The pronoun's tricky there. So if that's the case, and I think it is, and it should say there above Jacob, this is what it means. It means not only did Jacob see a stairway, not only did he see a stairway with angels on it, what Jacob saw was God Almighty descend the stairway and come face to face with him there above him. God doesn't stay in heaven and shout at him like a grouchy parent. Where are you, boy? What have you done? But he sees God come over him as he sleeps on the ground in the desert like a parent over a sleeping child. This is a a picture. Can you see of friendship, intimacy, and God speaks right to him in this situation. He says, Jacob, he, 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 he renews the covenant he made with his father and grandfather. He says, Jacob, you, you think you're totally alone, but you're not. I'm with you. You've got me. Jacob, you think you're going to come to nothing. God says, I'm going to make you something. You think you're going to die in the desert, be murdered by your brother, but you're not. I'm going to watch over you, Jacob. I, myself, am going to protect you. See, God has opened the heart of heaven to Jacob. Jacob himself. What does it mean now? Fourthly, this means that Jacob has been absolutely wrong about everything he's ever thought about God and maybe about what you've thought about God because this is showing him heaven isn't closed to him. Jacob's only been closed to it. And what Jacob saw is what you need to see. Heaven is open. God's power and his love are working right now in your life. His love and grace are here for you right now, even if you've never met him or seen it before. And what it also shows us is God is working. He is ruling from heaven even when we can't see him because it shows us especially that God is in the places where we think he would never be. He is in the middle of the pain. He's in the middle of the abandonment. We ask, where are you, God? We think I'm in the middle of a nowhere place in my marriage. I'm in the middle of a nowhere place in my job or my career or my life or this situation. Where are you, God? Oh, this shows you that God is in the middle of nowhere with nobody people who feel alone, feel alone or abandoned. He's never been closer to Jacob. Never been. This passage is begging you to see it. Heaven's open. Oh, And this is crucial to see. It's not just open. It's open to Jacob. Open to Jacob. And this is what breaks him, humbles him, ought to shatter your categories about God. And let me show you what I mean. When Jacob saw this, how did he react, right? Uh, God comes over him. Did he jump up and down and say, well, you know what? About time you got here. Been waiting on you. The 915, you know, dream. I was waiting for you to show up. Uh, You know, it's a good thing you're here now. You and I can get down to business. No, he wasn't excited The Bible tells us he was afraid. Afraid. Why would he be afraid? Well, on one hand, it's probably for the same reason every person in the Bible is initially afraid when they really see who God is. A true encounter with God leaves you floored, humbled, jaw-dropped. Peter in the New Testament, when Peter sees Jesus' power, he's put it like this. Peter says, away from me, God. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, by the way, didn't bother to correct him. (laughs) Peter's response there 
is an echo of Jacob's here. Jacob ought to have been afraid, yes, because here's the one true God uh, coming to him, a wretch of a person, the one true God, commander of an army of angelic beings coming right down on top of him. But I don't think that's why he was afraid. I think he was afraid, not because he was about to be crushed by God in a way, because he certainly knows that he ought to have been. God's got every right to judge him for all he's done. I mean, what would you think, right? I mean, God's coming down on you. You've blown up your family. You've ruined your life. Jacob's done nothing to deserve forgiveness. God's coming down on him. I would think I'm about to get what I deserve, except that's not what happens. Instead of judgment, Jacob gets mercy. Instead of condemnation, what does he get? Forgiveness. Instead of hell open beneath him, he gets heaven opened above him. And he's done nothing to deserve it. Jacob is getting, Jacob's getting, the second chance he never even asked for. That's who this God is. And this is what humbled him. Not God's righteous judgment, but his tender mercy. It's the loving kindness of God that draws us to repentance, you see. Heaven isn't just open, it's open to Jacob. Jacob, the deceiver, the trickster, the failure, the liar. How could this be? How could heaven be open to him and God come to him? Oh, this because this is the God who comes to us in our darkness, doesn't even just meet us in our dreams. He is the one who is working now to produce in us, through all of this, a new declaration. What was Jacob's declaration? Number three, let's look at it. Verse 17, now he says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, that phrase he uses there, the gate of heaven, that's a direct reference to a story he would have known that we're supposed to know as the reader. If you've been here a few weeks ago, you would have known it. It's back in Genesis 11 with the famous story where the, uh, these people groups of the earth, they conspire together to build a tower to heaven with st- steps that reach to the sky. In Genesis 11:4, 4, it says, the top reached to the heavens, which is what Jacob, right, is seeing in his dream. And most scholars believe, again, this tower was really what's called a ziggurat. A ziggurat was an ancient kind of a temple with a giant staircase on a side. I think we got a picture of it here. A staircase on one side. It's got a platform on the top where people would climb the steps and ascend to meet with their God on the top and bring the blessing down. And do you know what those ancient people called that ziggurat? They called it the Tower of Babel. Do you know what Babel means? Well, it sounds like our word confusion, but that's not it at all. It's a word of Akkadian origin. It literally meant the gate of God. Bab means gate. El means God. Babel means gate of the gods or gate of heaven. And Jacob says, oh, this, this is the true Babel. This is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the real gate of heaven. Jacob's getting it. Oh, oh, I see. This is how heaven works. I don't go up to get to God. I don't do something to earn his blessing. God comes down to me. Every other stairway goes up, makes people go up, offer the sacrifice do the deal but this stairway comes down to people in nowhere places who don't even deserve it jacob sees true spiritual reality here heaven's true gate doesn't make you go up it comes down to you but but that still doesn't answer the question which was how could an absolutely holy god come down into jacob's life and not end him but come near to him offer him 
unconditional affirmation and forgiveness. I mean, this is like Abraham's encounter, right? Where he asked God for proof or Moses' request where he says, God, show me something. God says, okay, I'll show you my back, right? This is a stairway coming down, unasked for, unlooked for, into someone who hadn't just done nothing to deserve it, but done everything to avoid it. How could this be? Well, the answer lies not just in what the stairway means, hear me, but in who the stairway is. The answer lies in a little passage in the book of John. And until I saw these passages connected, I never really understood either of them. So let me try to show you. Flash forward. John chapter 1, Jesus Christ. He's beginning his ministry in Galilee. He's choosing his main leaders, the disciples. He picks a guy named Philip. And Philip says, all right, I'm going to go get my friend named Nathaniel. And he's going to come meet you too. And he drags Nathaniel back to see Jesus. And, and he says, listen, Nathaniel. He said, we found him, right? We found the Christ. We found the hope of Israel, the one that we've been waiting for. He's from this place called Nazareth. And of course, you know, Nathaniel famously asked, Nazareth, how can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, fill in the blank with a small town that you don't think anybody's from. And I love Philip's response. He just says, come and see. Will God change my life? Come and see. Can anything good happen at that church mosaic if I come today? Come and see. And as they walked up at Jesus, Jesus calls out to Nathaniel. He says, now there's a true Israelite, a man in whom is nothing false. In verse 48, Nathaniel asked him, well, how do you... Know me? Jesus answered, I saw you. Kind of creepy. <laughs> While you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, now here, Jesus gives him what's called a word of knowledge, and it, it blows his mind. And, you know, maybe you've heard this, maybe a word of knowledge or like a prophetic word given to somebody before, and you thought, that sounded so generic. Why are they crying, right? Why are they so moved? It's because it wasn't meant for you. It was meant for them. God was speaking to them, right? Jesus' word seems so generic, fig tree, whatever, but it clearly strikes a nerve in him, so much so, here's what Nathaniel says. Then he declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, all right, all right, all right. You believe, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see greater stuff than that, Nathaniel. And what does he say next? Here's the punchline, 51. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see what? Heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on who? The son of man. Oh, you see what he's doing? He's directly referencing Genesis 28, a story those men would have known well. He's saying, I am the stairway Jacob saw. That was me. I am the true stairway, not to heaven, but from heaven, I'm heaven's gate. And you see the reason that Jacob's life could be rescued, redeemed, restored, transformed is the same way and reason your life can be today because of the true stairway, not to heaven, but from heaven. Jacob was seeing a vision of who Jesus is and how his gospel works. He's the one who comes to God and from God into your life. How can that happen? You say, I'd like that. How can that happen here? You got to see this. Here's how. It's because Jesus became the greater Jacob, a greater Jacob, a lonely wanderer cast out by his family. Uh, He said of himself, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a stone for a pillow. And yet on the cross, as he cried out with darkness on the outside, on the inside, the sun had set on his life. Heaven was closed to him. The father turned away. Jesus had done everything right 
perfect, perfectly loving, perfectly powerful, the perfect servant, the perfect leader, teacher, and yet, unlike Jacob, he got no voice, no angels, no dream, no vision. Why? Oh, it's so that now, by him in that moment, paying the price for all us Jacobs, liars, tricksters, heaven could be open to us. Jesus didn't just come to show you the stairway to point to it. He said, I am the stairway. Jesus is the way, he's saying. Say, all right, what does this mean? What can you do now, church? What can you do with all of this? Maybe you're in the same place as Jacob. What can you do with this once you know heaven is open to you? I want to encourage you to do these two things. Let's apply this in two ways. You can do the two things now that Jacob did. Here we go. First, two things. First, I want to encourage you, challenge you even, to make your pillow into your pillar. What do I mean? Well, what, what, was, what was Jacob's pillow? Come on, it was, a, it was a symbol of what his life had become. Empty, broken, poor, but after heaven was opened to him, what did he do with it? Verse 18, it says, he took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. Oh, I love this. All of a sudden, when God's word came to him, Jacob began to see everything in a new light. He took the rock, the hard place. He pours oil on it, which means to declare it as valuable, precious, holy in God's sight. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means you take the thing that looks the worst in your life, the hardest place that you've got, the thing, the place you think, oh, this should be soft, but it's hard, the thing you would never want, and you begin to say, oh, God, you are with me here now in this place. God, you're here with me. Heaven's not closed to me. God, your heart is open to me. And if you were working at the most dark place in human history, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, surely you are with me here in this place. The cross, right? Jesus' hardest place became a pillar of salvation for humanity. And therefore, if you're a Christian, you ought to refuse to see your cross, your loss, your pain, hurt, hard place as anything less than the place God's working right now. God turned Jacob's pillow of stone into a pillar of of salvation. And I can't tell you, church, how many times Carrie and I, we've been in a hard situation, a difficult situation. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why things have turned that way, broken bad for us. They've said this, done that, whatever, who knows? We don't understand it, but we have chosen to believe and trust that heaven is open for us. We've taken hands, held hands, poured the oil of prayer over that hard place, the oil of anointing over that place, the oil of community over that place. And we say, God, we thank you for the incredible thing you're going to do right here in our lives. Yeah, and that's exactly what Jacob did years later, right? Jacob came back by this place at another hard moment in his life, and he saw that pillar, which had been his pillow, and he remembered what God has done. Listen, some of you, some of you got pillars from the past. Go back to them. Remember what God has done. Don't let those things go. Remember what God has done. If he saved you then, surely he's going to deliver you now. Second, though, don't just turn that pillow into a pillar. Second, though, finally, say what Jacob said. He closed, his last thought was, this is, he says, Bethel. It means the house of God. And what Jacob is doing here is acknowledging God's sovereignty in his life. God's bigger than him. Oh, all of this is yours. All of this is your house, God. Nowhere I can go from your presence. Nowhere I can flee from your spirit. God, you're bigger than me. Let me ask you, have you said this? God, all of this is yours. All of this is your house. My stuff is your stuff. The house is your house. Life is your life. Have you today taken your hands off your life? That's what's beginning to happen with Jacob here. His clutches are coming off. 
because he sees and senses an infinite being of infinite love. Now he's met this God. His grandfather and his father have met, and it's beginning to change him. Years ago, when I was a, a campus missionary at the University of Texas, I had this campus meeting I helped lead down there, and some of you may know this story. And uh, There was a, a student that I met there during that time. Is a, he was a foreign exchange student from Vienna, Austria. His name was Johannes Hindler, and Johannes came from this prominent musical family in Vienna, and Johannes was tall and handsome and talented and arrogant. Arrogant. But one night, he and another friend were walking across campus, Walking across campus is why we do campus ministry. Where they heard the music from that campus meeting and they decided to poke their heads in. And Johannes brought his body in. And then he stayed right there in Calhoun 100. And and I met him afterward and we began to strike up this friendship and I invited him to coffee afterwards and we began to meet for a few weeks. And Johannes began to ask me questions like, how can you believe in this God you can't see with your own eyes? How do you know that Jesus, how can you say Jesus is the only way to God? And we went back and forth, but he kept coming to our meetings. And after one Wednesday night, nothing particular happened, I guess, at the meeting, but uh, we agreed to meet for coffee in the next morning right there in Jester City Limits and talk about what he'd heard and what I found out that morning in the span of 12 hours was somehow everything had changed. I'll never forget he burst into that cafeteria, ran through the door, his big goofy grin on his face. I began to ask him how he was doing. He cut me off. He says, no, 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 Morgan, you will never guess what happened to me last night. I went home and I had a dream, had a dream. He said, in that dream, I was up uh, on a cross. He said, I was naked, uh, being paraded down this main avenue thoroughfare uh, in Vienna towards St. Stephen's, the main cathedral there. And as I was being paraded down the street, naked on the cross, my friends and my family lined the streets. They were mocking me, cursing me, uh, jeering me, spitting on me, throwing things at me. And I began to make my way down that street. And I began to come close to the cathedral where God's face was, the face of God. He said, as I touched the face of God, as I met God, as our faces touched and merged, he said, I woke up, Johannes said, and my skin was all on fire. He said, I felt burning sensation everywhere. He said, so I got in the shower. I said, I thought something was wrong with me. So I got in the shower and I began, I cleaned off and I came out. I was still burning. He said, so I dropped to my knees in the middle of my apartment at 2 a.m. He says, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ right there. And then he said in his best sort of, you know, Schwarzenegger accent, he said, "Uh, everywhere I touch myself, I feel brand new all over. (laughs) true story. He got water baptized here. He went back to Austria and he wrote me an email when he got back and here's what he said. He said, it's Morgan, it's been a while since we left Austin and I had a great time at your house before we left. A lot has happened concerning my walk with God and I just felt it would be good to let you know. I know that there are big challenges waiting in Austria and I'm not going back without being prepared. I'm ready for a battle, for suffering, for being laughed at, for being ignored. I'm ready for anything, everything, because I realize more than ever that without God, I am nothing, can do nothing, and certainly can't be good. It is a relief knowing that to be weak, that only God can make you stronger. I pray that I will go anywhere with God. I'm ready to give everything, even to die, because there is nothing less I can give my creator back whom I previously betrayed and ignored. I love him too much to tell Jesus, the single purpose for my being. With all the love I can give, I bow down before him and serve with all I have to give. That is the least I can do. 
I want to thank you in the name of the Lord for all the time you spent talking to me and encouraging me with all the arguments I needed and in a way not needed because I did not find the way to Jesus by reasoning. I felt the presence of the Lord and that was what made me believe. Went back to Austria. Uh, led his girlfriend, his sister, his mother to Christ. He went into vocational ministry. He's a campus missionary there down today. See, when, when he encountered Jesus, heaven's gate, everything changed. The same can be true for you today.